to Franchise Players, your new home for tried sports in the mornings here in the Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point uh, region of North Carolina. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. Make sure you follow Tobacco Road Sports Radio on Twitter at Tobacco Radio. On the line with me right now, he is the beat writer for the Carolina Panthers for Sports Illustrated. Skylar Callahan joining Franchise Players. What's going on, Skylar? What's up, man? I'm doing great, Desmond. How are you? Pretty good. And uh, yesterday, we actually got blessed with uh, Matt Rule, head coach of the Carolina Panthers, and new general manager, Scott Fitterer, uh, who actually answered questions from the press. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you were in that Zoom meeting. So perfect timing to have you on uh, to talk some Panthers talk here. I-, I watched the I watched most of the Matt Rule press conference. Um, and the one thing that was standing out to me, uh, Skylar, was that there seemed to be an intent to, to gush praise on Teddy Bridgewater like today. <laughs> I, I don't know if you noticed this too or not, but it felt like they were really trying to push home the fact that Teddy Bridgewater is the quarter of the Carolina Panthers or a quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, I should say. Now, not that he's the quarterback now, which is what I think everyone that was in there listening took that to mean because they couldn't say now, but that's what it kind of felt like. Do you feel like Teddy's going to be the starter in 2021, especially after what you watched today between Rule and Scott Fitter basically heaping praise upon praise on Teddy Bridgewater? You know, Desmond, it's really hard to tell. You know, it's hard to tell people and what they say and and be able to take it for what they actually say, or is it just, you know, coach speak or GM speak? And I think it it really just depends on the person. You know, I think we've only been around – you know, Matt Rule for about a year now. We've only been around Scott for, you know, a couple of months. We've only got to talk to him a couple of times. So we don't really know what they say and what it means because this is really the first full off season for Matt Rule where he knows his players, he knows his personnel, his coaching staff, everything. Last year it was just kind of all thrown at him at once. So, you know, it's really hard to tell. From what I took out of that was – they 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 wanted to 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 talk up Teddy Bridgewater because when you think about all the stuff that has been thrown at him in the last you know you know couple of weeks with you know trade rumors and stuff like that you, you never want to have a player feeling like he's left out of the organization because it very well could happen that you know they don't get the Sean Watson they don't get the quarterback that they really want in the first round and they don't see another quarterback that they can, you know, strike a deal with in free agency or trade for. And all of a sudden, Teddy Bridgewater is still your starting quarterback. He's still under contract for two more years. So you don't really want to make him upset. You want to keep him happy. And I think that's what Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer have done. They've you know been very upfront with him. They've acknowledged the fact that, you know, there has been stuff uh, with his name floating around in it. They've talked to him about it. So they've been very upfront with him. And I think that's kind of – where they are right now. And really between Matt Rule and Scott Fitter, the one thing that I've constantly noticed is that they are going to look for every way possible to upgrade at every position. It doesn't matter if it's quarterback, long snapper, which JJ Jansen just signed another deal. So he's going to be back. So we don't have to worry about that. But right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's going to be about every position. And I don't think any player or any position is safe. And you know, right now I just don't know. I, I think it's it's too early to tell, but Something tells me that there's going to be a, a new quarterback added to this team. It just is it going to be Deshaun Watson or is it going to be a first round pick? Follow Skylar on Twitter at Callahan underscore. Uh, Matt Rule had some thoughts on releasing veterans Trey Boston and Kwan Short today as well when uh, pressed on those decisions. How do you think Rule handled that in terms of uh, the media asking questions about 
established veterans, guys that were well loved in the locker room. Um, and from last I heard, there's a possibility Kwan Short may end up still on this team anyway. If the market dictates, you know, he's not getting what he's thinking he should get out there in the market. The the Panthers sound like they're open to bringing him back. What were your thoughts on Matt Rule's comments on Trey Boston and Kwan Short today? Yeah, I thought he did a really good job because, I mean, these are some tough questions that, I mean, not only he is going to face or Scott's going to face, but every head coach and GM in the NFL is going to have to face. And we've been talking, we've been hearing about this massacre that's supposed to happen in the next week or so with all of these veteran players that are going to get cut or released uh, just because of the, the salary cap issue. The NFL came out today, or excuse me, yesterday and said that it, it's going to be set at 182.5 million. Mm-hmm. And Matt Rule even said that was even lower than they had been preparing for. They knew it was going to be lower. So they're going to have to adjust. And in terms of Trey Boston, I mean, I think, you know, when they signed that three-year deal a year ago, they weren't thinking a pandemic was going to happen. The, the salary cap wasn't going to be dropped significantly and and all these other things were going to come into play. And then you add in a player like Jeremy Chin, who just absolutely, you know, played spectacular as a rookie. He They've did. got something back there. And I think they kind of like some of those other guys that they have in the mold. And they like some guys, I'm sure, in free agency in the draft that may be a little bit cheaper. And, and again, you're right. Kawan Short, definitely, again, one of these veterans that's going to be part of this massacre that could find his way back to Carolina on a cheaper deal because no one's going to be real willing to pay him that much money in a year like this and for a guy that's been out essentially for back-to-back seasons. Yeah, I mean, Kawan really has played, what, maybe two and a half games in, th- in two years. And, yeah. uh yeah, I mean, I think the writing was on the wall with that that cut. I think even Kwan kind of knew, you know, it's business. But uh, it feels like a Charles Johnson situation where he may still end up coming back uh, and playing at a much lower rate than he would have, you know, had they not cut him. Uh, but we'll see what happens with him. Trey, I'm I'm kind of fine with the moving on. This was a second tour of duty with the team, um, and I know they want to get younger back there, and hopefully they'll be able to. We found out during Matt Rule's press conference on Wednesday that. Uh, Christian McCaffrey and Shaq Thompson had restructured their contracts uh, to free up some extra money. Tell me a little bit about that um, with uh, CMC and Shaq restructuring. What exactly does that do for the Panthers' salary cap going forward? Yeah, so for McCaffrey's uh, restructure, it, it looks like they're going to convert most of that to his signing bonus. So that's that's going to save up a, a ton of money. It'll it'll save up, I think, five point six million for this year's cap space. Um, and I, I don't think they've really d- released any details on Shaq Thompson's yet. I don't think anybody has that as of right now. Um, but they have both restructured their deals. And, and I think really, you know, this is something that you're going to see a lot of teams do. And it's not just going to be, you know, one or two players. I mean, this is at least that we know of three players, if you include Matt Paradis early in the, earlier in the offseason that have restructured their deal. Federer said that there's been a couple of other guys that are either have done it or are going to be doing it. So I don't know what that's going to look like. But in a, when you're in a year like this, I mean, I don't know how many times we can we can state this. It's just so unique. You have to find ways to create more money. And like Federer said, you don't want to continue to kick money down the road because then that puts you in a bad spot three, four years from now. But in a situation like this, it, it's going to have to happen. You know, it's it's going to be something that they do this year, probably this year only, and they don't want to get in the habit of it. That's what you know Scott reiterated uh, yesterday. And I, I don't think we're going to see this be um, massive amount of money being moved. 
but I do think it'll be something that helps them in terms of, you know, some some lower tier free agents to help fill out the back end, help out with their draft uh, uh, picks as well, because, um, you know, you're going to have to pay that first rounder a good, a good amount of money. Do you think that some of that was done so that they can try to, to hold on to Curtis Samuel? Because we know Taylor Moten signed the franchise tag earlier this week. And for the most part, uh, Taylor Moten and Curtis Samuel seem to be option one and option one A. Well, really one and two, since we know who just got tagged. Uh, <laughs> and, but he was uh, rule was asked about Curtis Samuel and Fitter was asked about him as well. They couldn't really say a whole lot. But from what you gathered from them, do you think Curtis Samuel is still a top priority for this team to sign to move forward? Or do you think it's one of those situations where they're willing to let the market kind of dictate where he goes? Yeah, I think they, they would love to have him back. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he was the Panthers, you know, number one go-to guy on third downs last year. And really, you could make an argument, even though he didn't have the yards or the catches or anything like that, that DJ or, or Robbie had, you can make the argument that Curtis Samuel was the most clutch receiver on the team. I mean, he was coming up big in third downs in the red zone at times, uh, just on, on big-time plays kept drives alive, made, made diving catches at times. I mean, and we also saw him at running back. I mean, this is a very rare type of player that we've seen in Curtis Samuel. And I think you're going to start to see a lot of teams copy the Panthers and what they did with him. Because if you can find players like that, that may not be able to be a number one wide receiver and maybe not you know good enough or big enough to be a, an every down running back, there's going to be a lot of more, a lot more players. I think that can turn into that role. I mean, there's, there's. If you go back a few years to when you know Tavon Austin was with the Rams, I mean, that's kind of a similar role that Samuel's playing, but he's taken it to a whole nother level. I mean, Tavon had a bunch of injuries and, and stuff like that. They didn't really get in the ball. They weren't creative like Joe Brady was with Samuel. So, I think this is a really good um, opportunity for him to to really test the market. I, I know he's going to have a lot of interest. Uh, teams like, you know, obviously the Washington football team, Ron Rivera, oh, uh, Urban, <laughs> yeah, Urban Meyer uh, down there in Jacksonville, oh, yeah. his, his yeah. former coach at Ohio State. So there's going to be a lot of interest out there for him. And if he's going to demand a high dollar, it might be a little tough for the Panthers to outbid those guys. It kind of Curtis Samuel's position this year, uh, I've been telling people, it reminded me of when I played Pop Warner football as a kid because he was kind of playing like an old school flanker kind of position where it's like a – yeah wide receiver running back hybrid type thing going on. It makes you wonder if they put Christian McCaffrey in that spot, you know, how that would, how that would work with him doing more lining up at the line and lining up in the backfield, but it could do either one or motion into it or whatever. Who knows what Joe Brady's going to do with a, a healthy Christian McCaffrey back in the fold. Uh, I'm hoping they're able to sign Curtis Samuel. I think they have last I checked uh, as of this uh, moment, I think they have about 30 million in, uh, in cap room as it stands right now. Uh, that you may have mentioned there uh, just a bit ago. So we'll see what they do with that money. Uh, on the line with me, Sports Illustrated, Panthers beat writer Skylar Callahan. Catch him on Twitter at Callahan underscore. Uh, right when we came on the air at 11 o'clock today, former Panthers linebacker Thomas Davis and former uh, tight end Greg Olson, the retirement uh, ceremony began for them. First, let's talk about the legacy of Thomas Davis with this Panthers organization. Skylar, where would you rank Thomas Davis in terms of uh, all-time Panther linebackers. I mean, he's got to be right there at the top, right? I mean, right. <laughs> he, he, I mean, outside of Luke, I mean, he's got to be, if not two, maybe three. I mean, I would have to say he's number two. I mean, that's just me personally. Um, I know other people may have different opinions, but I mean, he meant so much to this team 
and, and the fact that, and I think everybody loses, you know, the, the whole story of how many times he had to come back from injury. Right. And, and that, that alone is just extremely impressive and, and not just to come back from injury, but to come back and be essentially the same player that he was before he got injured. So, uh, you know, you go back to that year where they made this the, the run in the Super Bowl, and he was every bit as as crucial of a piece to that defense as Luke Keekley was. And I, I don't know uh, that <laughs> hmm. you, you know you you look at natural talent, and I think Luke uh, Keekley, you know, he he's extremely smart. He's an extremely smart player, obviously. But I think Todd Davis or excuse me, Thomas Davis is just one of those guys that just – he just knows how to play. He's a, he's a, just a football player. I think if you were to put him at any spot on that defense, he could line up and play at an extremely high level. Remember, a lot of people don't remember, uh, he, he lined up at several different spots. He wasn't right. just one guy that stood in one spot. And I think it kind of reminds me of Jeremy Chin a little bit. Obviously, mm-hmm. two different players, two different builds, but they, they may have something there uh, that kind of resembles the importance of, of a defense. I'm so glad you mentioned Jeremy Chin uh, the same breath as Thomas Davis because you hit it right on the head. I think it's in reverse, though, in terms of Thomas Davis uh, was drafted basically to, to be a spy for Mike Vick. Uh, yeah. I mean, they just could not handle Michael Vick. <laughs> like, literally, this dude was killing us, like, every time we saw him. So to spend a first-round pick on one guy, to, to, to spy on one guy that you played twice a season – uh, was remarkable in itself, but uh, TD was a safety coming out of Georgia. He kind of yes. played both. And after, I think they had him at safety rookie year. And then after rookie year, they moved him down the linebacker where he stayed. I think the reverse is going to happen with Chin, where he was playing both linebacker and safety, but he was in the box a lot this year. Uh, I think they're going to move him out to safety, which is why they let Trey Boston go. And from there, he'll, he'll develop into, you know, a top notch all pro safety, in my opinion. Do you think it's, it's crazy talk to think about Thomas Davis with a statue at that other gate with Sam Mills man in the other one. It, I mean, I don't think it's crazy talk at all. I mean, he, he did everything um, that in my, at least in my book that checks all the boxes. I mean, I think he is, all, like, he's clearly one of the best Panthers of all time. Definitely one of the best defensive players in, in franchise history. Uh, I, I think a lot of people would say maybe give Luke his first, but you know, he didn't play as long, so that may have something to do with it. But, you know, I think he definitely deserved it. I think he's going to have a lot of uh, post-career accolades coming his way, that's for sure. Uh, Thomas Davis, the only Carolina Panther in franchise history to win the NFL Sportsman of the Year Award. That was back in 2014. Um, I believe he's won the NFL Comeback Player of the Year Award uh, more than once, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the only player to come back from three torn ACLs on the same leg. And to echo what you were saying, Skylar, he really, when he came back the third time, uh, you know, no one really knew what to expect. And the Panthers, you know, credit to them and former owner Jerry Richardson for sticking with him because any other place would have just given up on Thomas Davis at that point uh, with, with just cause, you know, three torn ACL, same leg. I mean, it's the NFL. You're playing outside linebacker. You're backpedaling literally like every play. It just seemed like it was going to be a wrap. And he kind of changed his game to be more cerebral instead of depending on athleticism. And it didn't hurt to have Luke Keekley picked up, you know, a year later in the draft to be his running mate <laughs> beside him. I think that extended his career a lot. So I was just thinking about him like Sam Mills only played for the, the Panthers, what, like three seasons or something like that. And yeah, not uh, very long. Yeah. But I know what he means to the Panther organization right. and then getting started. And Tyrone Pohl is my my uh, co-host on the Believe in Panther podcast when we're in season. 
and he's he played with Sam. So I, I get all that, but I look at like if Sam Mills has one at the North Gate or, or whichever gate it's on, I think it would be fitting for them to do one for Thomas Davis and put it at the other gate. So they're kind of guarding the two gates, sort of. Absolutely. That, and be Sam Mills and Thomas Davis. I think Luke wouldn't have a problem with that whatsoever. I don't think anybody would have a problem with it. So maybe we can, me and you can start an online petition to, <laughs> <laughs> to get Thomas Davis a statue in front of BOA. I, I, I definitely got to say, could you imagine those three playing together? Keekly, <laughs> Sam Mills, and Dave. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, my I God. Mean, no, no one would be able to do anything. No. <laughs> that would, would be just, one heck of a court. It would be like that. Um, do you remember Tech Mobile, the old school <laughs> video game? Yes. You know, like when you would pick the guy's play, like you're the defense, and you actually pick the offensive play, and they all go running in like at super <laughs> speed. It'd be like that pretty much like the whole time. That would be fantastic. Um, Skyler Callahan on with me from uh, Sports Illustrated. The other gentleman getting uh, his flowers today, Greg Olson, uh, also had a similar impact on the community in Charlotte and the state. Do you think that Olsen is a potential Hall of Famer? I, I think he is clearly a Hall of Famer. I mean, I don't know if it's it's biased speaking or, or not, but I think he was honestly probably one of the best, if not the best tight ends in the game when he was with the Panthers in his prime, obviously. Obviously, he had a couple of injuries uh, down the stretch there where you know he wasn't necessarily the same guy. But there wasn't very many tight ends that you would look around the league and say, yeah, I'd rather have him over Greg Olson. I mean, he was he was a top of the line tight end, a class act person and a, a really a, a true teammate. I mean, he really helped get that team going and getting them to that that Super Bowl run just as much as, as Davis meant on the other side of the ball. I think Greg Olson was a huge part of that offense. I mean, Cam Newton loved going in his direction and, mm-hmm. and reasonably so. I feel like if Teddy Bridgewater had a Greg Olson, that the Panthers might have won a couple more games. Yeah. (laughs) You know, some of those situations, late game situations where he he just had no place to go. It felt like Greg Olson was those hands that he was missing, you know, in that offense. And who knows? Maybe uh, I saw that uh, Hunter Henry's not going to get, you know, a deal or whatever. Uh, he's going to be out there looking for a tight yes. end. Maybe they use some of that thirty million to bring in, you know, some help. Yeah. I, I'm I'm starting to come around on because I was on this tip, and this is right before I let you go here. I was on this tip of I'm done with Teddy Bridgewater. Like I want somebody new. I've seen enough. He's been this way his whole career, and I think over the past couple of weeks, I've kind of resigned myself to, well, based on the deal he has, I know basically they know they've got him for at least one more season. He'll be mm-hmm. on the roster unless they put on a trade. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of trade uh, warmth for Teddy Bridgewater right now. So more odds, odds on he's going to be on the team and probably the starter uh, unless Houston buckles or something happens crazy between now and then. Um, I, I just kind of feel like they're they're content with putting Teddy back in there because he didn't have Christian McCaffrey behind him. And I think some of the thought process is, well, if he had CMC with him, maybe we win some of these games that he ended up losing and got the blame for because he had the ball in his hands at the end of the ball game or whatnot. Um, Having said that, I would rather have Deshaun Watson. (laughs) (laughs) I think think everybody would. (laughs) So, and I, and I would think if I'm thinking that sitting on my living room couch, I'm thinking head coach Matt rule and general manager, Scott Fitterer feel the exact same way that they would rather have Deshaun Watson. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And I know I'm going to have Jan, uh, a bunch before we even get to the draft in April, but real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this uh, this tradition of asking you this before we we finish this out. 
Skyler's best guess on what the Panthers will do with the eighth pick of the 2021 draft as it stands the week of March the 11th, 2021. What do you think they're going to do with it as we sit here today? Because I know next time I ask you this, it'll probably be a different answer. <laughs> yeah, by then that, that pick may not be at number eight. Right, yeah, we might not even have it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, as of right now, I think it's – it's got to be quarterback, and I think it's going to be Trey Lance. And the reason why I say Ooh. Trey Lance, um, I, me personally, I'm not sold on Trey Lance just yet. I think, you know, the more I watch of him, the more I become fond of him. I think he does have a, a, a high ceiling. But there's just so many unknowns. He only had one true season as a starter at the college level and is at the FCS level, doesn't have that same level of competition. But that one season was really, really good. 28 touchdowns, no interceptions. He ran for, I think, 1,000 yards. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I think so. Um, But, I mean, the dude is just absolutely a a straight-up baller. So, I mean, Hmm. and when you look at the quarterbacks ahead of him, you know, Trevor Lawrence is obviously going to go to Jacksonville. Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, those are guys if the Panthers really want, they're going to have to trade up for. So, if the Panthers are staying put at number eight, I think the, the the best available option at number eight is going to be Trey Lance. So I think that's where they'll have to go if they go uh, if they stay at number eight and they're going to take a quarterback. I believe so. That, that's that's what that's my answer for today. <laughs> and I, you know what? I piggybacking off of what I just said before that, I would be fine with them drafting Trey Lance at eight. If Teddy is still here and the plan is to have him sit right. behind Teddy for a year, then all that makes total complete sense because then you know Teddy can be. Uh, he'll be the starter, still fairly inexpensive at $19 million next year. Uh, they can get out of his deal after the year is over. And Lance can kind of learn, because that was the main reason why Teddy Bridgewater's here. So he knows Joe Brady's offense. So if you've got a quarterback there that can teach the nuances of it to a young guy over the course of a season, then yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Trey Lance. And he's the one I've seen the least of. You know, like, yeah. I don't really know a whole lot about him. I was kind of high on Justin Fields for the longest, but... I think it was the glow of that Clemson semifinal game where they basically just put it all out there. Like that was their Super Bowl. And then just to fall completely flat the next game out against Alabama. But having said that, the only two losses Justin Fields had in his career at Ohio State was to Alabama and to Clemson. So not bad losses. (laughs) Not bad losses at all. (laughs) And though both of those were in college playoffs. So, I mean, he was like 32 and two or something crazy like that. So, I, I mean, I'm fine with Fields or. Lance, but I am starting to pay more attention to Trey Lance. So great answer. When I ask you that again, I'm I'm hoping it's gonna. Well, I know it'll probably be something totally different. <laughs> <laughs> follow like follow Skyler on uh, on Twitter at Callahan underscore beat writer for the Carolina Panthers. Skyler Callahan, I appreciate having you all, man. No problem. Thank you. Have any time? All right. More from franchise players after this. Franchise players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Welcoming back in Connor O'Neill and Brett Wiseman uh, from The Score. You can catch The Score with Brett Wiseman every Saturday morning, now 9 to 11. I don't know if I told you that, Brett, but I extended you guys an hour, so your your show will run, and then it'll repeat for those that didn't hear it the first time, uh, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. now on Saturday mornings on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. And you can catch Connor uh, throughout programming on Tobacco Road throughout the week. Uh, giving his expertise. Let's uh, let's jump back into buy or sell again, guys. We did this earlier in the show, uh, but I had more questions and we were running out of time, so I wanted to split it up here. 
Uh, let's go into the NFL. Panthers head coach Matt Rule and general manager Scott Fitterer spoke to the media on Wednesday after uh, not speaking to them for quite a bit of time. Both reiterated that Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. Buy or sell Teddy Bridgewater starting for the Panthers by the end of the 2021 season. Let's start with you, Connor. Sell, uh, sell down the river. Uh, this is, <laughs> a month and a half from now, a month and a half from now, they're going to have a first round pick that's a quarterback, or they're going to have Deshaun Watson on the roster. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is is not going to be Carolina's starting quarterback. I think for week one in 2021, uh, let alone the end of 2021. Brett. 100,000% sell everything about this. This is the, this is, you know how you talk about window dressing in terms of like actual offenses? Yeah. This is the executive equivalent of window dressing. Matt Rule and everybody in the front office right now are doing everything in their power to get rid of Teddy Bridgewater however they can and try and get Deshaun Watson. Now, that might take putting Bank of America Stadium up for collateral, but you're going to you're you're going to they're, they're going to either draft a quarterback or they're going to find somebody to replace Teddy Bridgewater. Noodle arm is not the answer. I 150% agree with selling uh Teddy being the starter at the end of the 2021 season. However, after watching the press conferences today, I'm starting to think that Teddy Bridgewater may be the starter for the beginning of the 2021 season. Um, I think they may be leaning more towards drafting a quarterback, letting him sit behind Teddy a year, and and then basically throwing him in towards the end of the season based on where Carolina is, you know, playoff-wise and everything else, Um, which I think was the original plan. And, you know, when you go back and look at Teddy Bridgewater's contract that he signed, it's a three-year deal. The team has an option after year two to basically let him go without a lot of dead cap you know, money on, on them. And my thought was always first year, Teddy's there to help install the offense, see how he's going to be. It, depending on that first year, year two, they would bring in a young quarterback. He would mentor under Teddy, and then Teddy would be let go at the end of 2021. The new quarterback takes over 2022. Christian McCaffrey's extension kicks in in 2022, and you're good to go. Um, I've heard all the stuff with uh, Watson. The thing that's bothered me about Watson is that Houston is defiant that they're not trading him. Even after all this stuff with Watson saying he's definitely not playing for him again, what does it gain for Houston to keep saying that they're not going to trade this guy before the draft? Like It's going to affect how much they get back for him when they do eventually have to trade him. And Deshaun Watson strikes me as a type that is willing to sit out a season of football. Like he will sit out like to, like he seems like a man of conviction. I don't think he's going to go back and play for Houston again. And I don't know what Carolina would have to give up for him. Uh, it, just, it just seems like it flies in the face of what they're trying to do to give up so much to get one guy. I think Teddy's going to be the starter and I'm starting to come around with being all right with it. If they address other things uh, in the offense, especially if I know they're going to draft, you know, Justin Fields or somebody at number eight, then I'm fine with them having him under Teddy for a year and then, going forward um but we'll see but all day today all those panther press conferences they just kind of felt like they knew something but they weren't allowed to say something <laughs> so they were just playing kind of nice to teddy because that was most of the questions um i don't know it didn't it didn't feel right it felt stinky so 
We'll see what they do with, with Teddy and everything else. For what it's worth, Teddy Bridgewater has stopped following the Panthers on social media, but that could just be he's tired of hearing the rumors. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Teddy, too. Uh, over in the NBA, Charlotte Hornets start the second half of their NBA season tonight against the Detroit Pistons. Charlotte is 17 and 18. That's actually good enough for seventh place currently in the Eastern Conference. It's only one and a half games out of the fourth seed currently held by Boston, but it's also only one and a half games out of the 11th seed, which would put them out of the playoffs entirely. Buy or sell the Hornets winning a playoff series this year? We'll go with that. Just not not bringing back the buzz, Connor. You're not, you're not feeling the, the Hornets yet. Look, the buzz is coming back. Like it is, it is clearly coming back with Labella Ball. The guy is you hit, you hit the jackpot finally after so many years in the desert of just nothingness and not being bad enough to win the lottery and get a number one pick. They they finally hit a jackpot here. They have to figure out some some players to put around him, but they have. Some other pieces in there with Miles Bridges and Gordon Hayward has played like an All Star when he's been in there. Uh, it's just it, it, you're not you're not winning a playoff series in the East this year. You're talking about okay, are you going to beat the Bucks? Are you going to beat the Nets? Like who are you beating? That's a great question, <laughs> Brett. Buy or sell Hornets winning a playoff series this year. I'm going to sell winning a playoff series. I'm not going to sell making the playoffs. I'm going to sell winning a playoff series. As much as I love this team and as much as uh, James Wilson and I talk about how much we love this team on the score. Which is great, um, by the way. And uh, how, you know, how, where where I see things going and where he see things sees things going as the world's number one foremost greatest Hornets fan on the planet are completely different. You know, if, if he had half the brains as he does the audacity to say the things that he does, we'd be in a much different spot. I love the kid to death, but <laughs> anyways, I, look, Connor's right. Whether you're a six seed, a seven seed, an eight seed, unless you are one of the top five teams in this conference, you're not getting past the first round. That it, The East notoriously is top-heavy, more so this year than I think it has been in the past. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I think it's still uh, – there's only like three teams in all the Eastern Conference that are above 500. Is that right? The the Nets, the Bucks, and the um, the 76ers. Everyone else, they're either at 500 or floating right below it. Um, or They're all bunched together. And I'm going to – I'm going to buy this, actually. Ooh. Because I think the Hornets are going to actually host a playoff series. I think they're going to get to the fourth seed. And wow. I say, I say that because – they're not that far off. It's not like they're 10 games back or anything like that. They go on a four or five game win streak. They're the third seed in the Eastern Conference, which sounds completely batty. But in this weird season, I could see it going down. You know, if they stay healthy, if I don't think they're going to make any moves, and that's the only thing that might stop them. I don't think they're going to make any moves before the trade deadline to bolster their center position. Uh, I think they're more willing to save their collateral and let guys like Vernon Carey Jr. and Nick Richards let those guys grow into the rotation, which means they'll take some lumps, uh, you know, as they're doing that. Having said that, the NBA is not really a uh, inside-out type league anymore, so they can kind of get by with Bismack Biombo and Cody Zeller for the time being. 
But if the the combo of Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, LaMelo Ball, Devontae Graham, those guards, if they continue playing hot like with each other, I don't really have a reason to believe that that Charlotte can't do it. Will they do it? I don't know. But I'm going to buy the idea that the Hornets could potentially host a playoff series this year. And if they do, we might have to take a trip down to, Chicago, uh, down to Charlotte, boys, and see what's going on with these Hornets. Um, let's go over to Major League Baseball. With the state of Texas opening back up everything, and I mean everything. to Literally everything. <laughs> the Texas Rangers may allow 100% fan capacity for their Major League Baseball home opener in April. If that happens, the Rangers would be the first team in Major League Baseball or any major sport in North America to have full capacity crowds uh, since COVID started last year. Buy or sell you feeling comfortable sitting in a packed sports arena in April of 2021? Connor? I'm selling because I have not gotten the vaccine. If I have a vaccine, fine. But I'm, I'm in group four and we're only in group three. And I'm uh, every a lot of people I know are getting vaccinated and it's nice for them. And I would be lying if I didn't say I wasn't jealous. But until I'm vaccinated, I'm not going to feel comfortable. I was sitting in the in the Coliseum during the game the other night, and the fans behind me kept taking off their masks to yell at refs uh. and yell at that kind of thing. And it was it was a little jarring. Yeah, I've been I've been in gyms really since I've never really stopped since all this began. Um, and I, I was doing something for um, uh, Blue Chip Academy. Uh, early like months ago uh, they were running a fall league for high school basketball teams and we were in there for eight Saturdays like at the peak of COVID and uh, yeah. some people were in masks they were pretty good with their restrictions and everything about how to get in and you had to wear a mask when you were there and eventually they'd have a sheriff out there to make sure people wore their mask but at the time people were not trying to hear it in terms of wearing their mask or whatnot not understanding that if they just simply kept it on they could stay there and watch their kid play basketball for an hour and, and you know get their money's worth they just wanted to be difficult. And I'm imagining that on a Texas size scale <laughs> in terms of like what's going to happen in Texas when, when people start getting sick again, because they're going to get sick again. Like unless the state of Texas has been vaccinated, I don't see this working out. Like I see Texas having a spike in cases almost immediately after they reopen all this. Have they already done this? Have they already reopened back up? Right. Yeah, uh, all the businesses are open 100%. Look, I, I'm I'm selling this. As much as I want to see ballparks full to the brim and everything full to the brim, everybody's got to get their shot before we, we get back to that point. We're, we're just not there. We, we don't have enough vaccine. We don't have enough people vaccinated uh, at this point to, to get there. Um, there will be fans in all 30 ballparks. The Rangers are the only one with 100% capacity. The Marlins said they're having 25% capacity, which is bold to assume that they'll get that many people in the building right. now that they're allowed in. Because <laughs> um, their average capacity over the last five years is 18. Uh, the average crowd at Globe Life Field, where the World Series was last year, 46,000-ish. Um, they said they are going to have... Mask requirements, they said anybody that's unruly, they're going to kick out of the stadium, period. No no three-strike rule. If you become unruly, you're, you're done, you're gone. Um, they will space people out if they want to be spaced out. But 
all 46,000 some odd seats are open. Um, their average attendance their last year at the ballpark in Arlington was about 26,000. Granted, that was the last year of that stadium, and they were terrible. Uh, so that has to be taken into account. But they're at 100. The Orioles are at 50% capacity. They just got approval from the state of Maryland to go there. Um, and then from then on, it's 40 to 30 and, and below. Fans are going to be in the stands for opening day. That's what matters. But look, the Astros might go the same way. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the Stars and the Mavericks are going to do now that things are 100% open. I don't know what their oh gosh what what their yeah I don't I don't know what their aspect of it is. Remember, the Stars start of their season was pushed back because they had 14 of 20 players on their roster test positive. So look, I I don't know. I I think it's the wrong idea at at this point. In May or June, when hopefully everybody's vaccinated, that's fine. That's perfect. Yeah. We got to get to that point first. We're just not there. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of you're moving. They're moving too fast. Like if they were further along in terms of uh, the vaccination act, uh, efforts, and we knew how many people in the state of Texas have been, you know, have been given the shot, I'd probably feel more comfortable with it. Uh, I'm sitting here in North Carolina. I've yet to receive my my shot. Neither neither has my wife, whose uh, immune system's compromised, or my kids. I haven't so, gotten mine either. So, you know, my mom's I mean, my mom's immunocompromised. She ain't gotten hers. So, see, and that's the thing. Like the rollout for this in the beginning, no one really knows how to get one. You just kind of stumble into <laughs> setting up one or finding someone who knows how, and you kind of do it that way. And I'm just trying to think when it comes to this particular question and I was actually talking about this with Rod uh, Thunderbird last night, the, I think the, uh, the outdoor sports like baseball, football, you can figure out a way to get more fans in there because it's races as well. NASCAR races. NASCAR is perfect example. Yes. MLS games, soccer games. If they're outside and you make them wear a mask, unless they're eating or drinking something, just like if they're in a restaurant, you can still kind of space them out a little. I don't know about 100% capacity. We probably could get to 50%, 75% capacity at this point and leave some room for the outdoor sports. The That's indoor- how it was at Bristol. I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah. uh, when uh, James and I went to Bristol for the All-Star Race in July, mind you, um, at the height of everything, uh, 30,000 fans at the All-Star Race, not a single positive COVID test came from any fan or essential personnel yeah. in that racetrack that night. And there were news reporters outside telling us or saying reports that we were going to be sick. Look, NASCAR and the state of Tennessee and Bristol were very strict with how they let people in. Our entrance times were staggered. Um, There was a row in between everybody. Everybody was pod seated, as you hear a lot of people talk about Mm -hmm. um, when you get these limited capacity kind of things. Um, We could only remove our mask when we got to our seat if we were eating or drinking. Other than that, uh, we could have our masks off in our seat, but if you had to get up for any reason, you had to put it on, and we were to stay in our row after the conclusion of the race and had to be told row by row to leave so you'd be at least six feet apart on the way out. Wow. Um, I'm going to a Hornets game next week. Our entrance times, as I know it now, are staggered. Um, I don't know how it's going to compare to anything else, but from what we learned at Bristol, it's that outdoors it could be done very very safely and from what i'm hearing from people with the hurricanes that they've had fans back the past three or four games that everybody seems to be doing their part in an indoor arena setting so that's good to hear 
Let's uh, well, we'll see what's going to happen, and we'll have you report back on that experience to the uh, what, what day is that? Are you going to go see the Hornets? Uh, Monday night, uh, the Sacramento game will be there. Oh, okay, cool. Um, maybe we'll get you. Who are you going with uh, James? Uh, uh, James's spot was stolen by the other James. Uh, oh no! <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so well, it's every it's every Thunderbirds media intern but him. Wow. Well, well, what I'll probably do is sometime next week have you report on the experience of going to you know a Hornets game because no one's been to one uh, in over a calendar year. So that might be something good to discuss. Got two more quick questions for you guys. Buy or sell here. Connor O'Neill, Brett Wiseman here with me on Franchise Players. Uh, overall, number one seed appears to be set for March Madness and appears to be Gonzaga, who finished undefeated uh, by winning the, uh, the WCC. Uh, tournament earlier this week real quick fellas buy or sell gonzaga completing a perfect season with a national championship and undefeated record this year i'm still the last team to go undefeated and win a national championship was that 1979 indiana uh 76 i believe 75 76 yeah indiana was the last team to do it kentucky came close uh in 2015 uh, they got to the Final Four and lost to Wisconsin, who lost to Duke in the final. And and that Kentucky team almost, and, and you could argue, should have lost in the Elite Eight game to Notre Dame. Yep. Uh, they, were, they were playing with fire that year. It is, it, would I like to see it? I don't even know. Uh, I guess it'd be cool if a team went undefeated, and it'd be nice if it was a team like Gonzaga instead of a, a Kentucky or a Kansas or a Duke doing it. I just don't think it happens. I, I just I, I think that there are too many variables in the NCAA tournament. You're you're not playing WCC teams that you can blow out by thirty every night uh, when you're when you're on your B plus game. Basically, I just I don't think it happens. I think somebody's going to knock them off. Brett, what say you? You think Gonzaga can do it? Win six more games, be the undefeated national champion, first time in over forty years. Uh, I don't think so. Look, G- Gonzaga has not played anyone from the Big Ten. The Big Ten is unequivocally the class of college basketball this year. They're going to get to the Final Four. They're going to run into one of the Big Ten buzzsaws. They're going to run into the Michigan, the uh, Illinois, the Iowa, the Ohio State, whoever gets there. One of those four teams is going to beat them, and one of those four teams is going to win the national championship. I just don't know which, which Big Ten school it's going to be because all of them are neck and neck equally as good as the next. I'm kind of rooting for my boy, Juwan Howard. Uh, I'm a huge Fab Five fan, so I'm kind of rooting a little bit for Michigan. I, I've been on record the past couple of weeks on these shows on Tobacco Road saying that I thought Gonzaga could go undefeated because I didn't think they were going to see anybody until around the Elite Eight. Like They really shouldn't see anyone that's a – a test for them until the, you know, the, the second weekend of March madness. And at that point, it's just a matter of talent on talent. I, I hear the, I hear the whole thing that, you know, Gonzaga has a weak conference. They don't really get any competition in January and February, but they do play a crazy out of conference schedule before conference starts. And they have been wire to wire, the best team in college basketball this year. They haven't really had a dip or anything. I, um, I think if they lose, it'll be in the final four. Um, but I think that they'll be they'll be close. I think they'll be close. I think they can make it to the final four and defeat it. And then that's when the the uh the booty holes get tighter, I guess you could say, in terms of uh <laughs> people get nervous and you know the pressure. Because Kentucky started feeling that. Kentucky started feeling that in the Wisconsin game, uh, when Sam Decker basically just you know 
tore them apart uh, in that, that second half. Uh, but that Kentucky team should have went undefeated. That Kentucky team should have won the whole thing. And to be honest, would probably be considered one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time if they had just won two more games. So they're right there on the on the the precipice of of greatness, I guess you could say. Uh, and it's amazing no one's done it since Indiana, 1976. Uh, Bob Knight, Quinn Buckner, and those guys. So uh, we'll see. But Gonzaga is the only undefeated team in Division One going into this tournament, so they'd be the only ones that have a shot. And I think they got a pretty good one. So we'll see what they do uh finally of course i did not forget uh the biggest news of this week in the sports world dallas quarterback uh dak prescott got a deal got a huge bag four years 160 million dollars 125 million dollars guaranteed 77 million dollars guaranteed when he's uh, in year one he's getting like 66 million as soon as he signs his name to this bad boy pat mahomes contract contained 141 million in total guarantees but only 73 million up front plus the Mahomes deal is much, much longer. Dak can opt out of his after year three. Buy or sell, pa- Pat Mahomes will eventually regret signing his $503 million 10-year deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, uh, look, Dak, the money that Dak got is fine. I think Pat Mahomes signed a deal that is more friendly to the team, which allowed the team to play their own money like we saw you know, last August. August, we're talking about, well, how do the Chiefs have all this money to give Pat Kelsey a deal and give uh, Chris Jones, I think, is a defensive lineman that they they locked up long-term. And Pat Mahomes is part of the reason why they're able to do that. And when you win one championship, you want to win more. When you win one championship when you're a quarterback under the age of 25, you want to win more. And I, look, Russell Wilson did that, and Russell Wilson's still stuck on one. Uh I think that Pat Mahomes is a lot more likely to be talking about two or three championships with his team-friendly deal uh, more likely than than to regret signing that. Brett, buy or sell? Pat Mahomes regretting his half-a-billion-dollar 10-year deal uh, here in a couple years after what he just saw Dak Prescott get. Absolutely not. No way. (laughs) This man had enough money to go out and buy 20% of the Kansas City Royals. He's fine. <laughs> Plus, he's got State Farm to fall back on. Oh, yeah. The State Farm commercials are great. Like, I'm waiting for the Pat Mahomes-Drake eventual crossover on a State Farm commercial with uh, with Chris Paul. They're, they've been fantastic. Um, I, I was thinking about this. It depends. It depends on how much money really rules Pat Mahomes' world. Because, honestly, the only thing that's different is the length of years. And if Pat is fine in Kansas City, he's getting more guaranteed money. It's just stretched out over more years, so it feels different. The really the only thing that's, that Dak's contract has over Mahomes is that he gets to go right back out in the market again in year three, or after year three, I should say. And at that point, he'll be 30 years old. So, uh, you know, he's getting $125 million here for three years, basically. Can he pull another $150 million for three years after this is over? Probably because the TV money will be back in and uh, fans will be back in the stands, you know, hopefully, you know, three years from now. Um, That's really the only thing that he has because Dak is going back to Dallas. Dallas is not Kansas City. (laughs) So it's like he's got some tools. Yeah. And in theory, Dallas should be equipped to do something right now because they paid everyone but Dak Prescott. They paid Amari Cooper. They paid Zeke. They paid uh, Jalen Smith. They paid. 
Demarcus Lawrence. They paid everybody. Tyron uh, Smith. They paid everybody but Dak. So everybody's under contract for like two or three years on the deals they have. And they're not like little deals either. Jerry Jones showered these players with like top five contracts at their positions like everywhere on the team. And this is a team that hasn't even won the NFC East, I mean, the NFC East back to back in like 20 plus years. And he's showering these players like they've already won a Super Bowl. So their window is now like when Dax on this contract, the window open, they've got like a two, maybe three year window to get this done. Like you can't sign a deal like Dak to sign and be content going nine and seven in the NFC East and be a wild card team or whatever. Like they've got to be NFC conference championship or higher for like the next two, two seasons, at least in my mind to justify the money that Jones gave out, not just to Dak, but to everybody, like all that money. He just spent like half a billion dollars on like eight, nine players for like the next couple of years. And if he has nothing to show for it at the end of it, that's just, that's just piss poor planning, man. Like you can't, you can't do that. So it's on Dak. I mean, I, I applaud him for securing this bag, and this deal is fantastic for him and for players. I think he reset the quarterback market in terms of what we're going to see quarterbacks doing going forward. Kirk Cousins really started it, but Dak's taking it to another level in terms of taking shorter deals, more guaranteed money, get back out on the market, and then with Tom Brady extending how long you can expect the quarterback to actually play, Dak might have made a good move here uh, with this four-year deal, getting that opt-out at three. We're up against it. I got to get out of here. Appreciate everybody that's come in to uh, listen to Franchise Players this morning. If you missed any bit of the show, you can go to the Tobacco Road Sports Radio Podcast Network. It's on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, uh, all over the place. So definitely check that out there. Brett, you can catch him Saturday mornings on The Score, 9 a.m. on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Connor O'Neill, you can catch him throughout uh, Tobacco Road programming throughout the week. I am Desmond Johnson. We are out of here. You've been listening to Franchise Players on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.